Hey friends, if you wish you weren't hearing an ad right now, then straight after you listen to this episode, head over to curiositystream.com slash not overthinking. For less than $15 a year, you get access to thousands of high quality documentaries on CuriosityStream, and you'll also get a special link to our podcast feed with all of the ads taken out. My name is Ali, I'm a doctor and YouTuber. I'm Taymor, I'm a data scientist and writer. And you're listening to Not Overthinking, the weekly podcast where we think about happiness, creativity, and the human condition. Hello, and welcome back to Not Overthinking. Taymor, how are you doing today? I'm doing all right. I'm not doing too bad. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm not doing too bad. Great. Well, thank you for listening to this week's... <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, wh- what do we normally talk about in this little preamble? It's like how the week how the week's been. Okay, wait, wait. Before before we do before we do, let's start with our our usual message, which is that this episode is brought to you by none other than Skillshare. Tamor, what is Skillshare? Skillshare is it's like YouTube, but for online classes. They've got classes on pretty much anything you can think of. Ali has a few classes of his own about Uh, a few videos. Only a few. How many are there now? Like five, six? That's actually seven. Seven, maybe eight. We're filming an eighth on Monday, but yeah, seven, seven are, are there at the moment. Two of them are about productivity. One is about how to study for exams effectively, which has over 30,000 students who've taken it and loads and loads of five-star reviews. Uh, there's one on how to use flashcards. There's one on how to be happier. And recently there's one, which I personally think is not very good, uh, which is about cooking, where someone else taught me how to cook. But it's quite, it's quite funny. All the feedback on that said I looked really, really bored while I was doing it. I think this is just how my face is because I have very heavy eyelids is what my housemate tells me. Um, but this is, a, this is a problem. Anyway, if you guys want to learn loads and loads of cool stuff, uh, especially for the new year, head over to skillshare.com forward slash not overthinking pod or hit the link in the video description. And the first thousand people to hit that link will get a free trial to Skillshare. And then after the free trial, the premium membership uh, is less than $10 a month. And it's so much better for you than uh, watching other sorts of videos online. Um, so you should definitely check that out. Skillshare.com forward slash not overthinking pod. Great. Um, big thanks to Skillshare for sponsoring the episode yeah what's the deal with this cooking thing i watched uh i watched a video i, I watched part of the video that you actually we watched it together i think we did yes last weekend <laughs> yeah. uh what's what's the situation there it was a bit experimental so um for the people who don't know what's going on here i earlier this year around about like february or march time i went over to like a friend's place and uh his wife taught me how to cook productively. So like how to do like meal prep and how to chop vegetables and stuff efficiently. And we kind of filmed the whole thing and thought it might be interesting to do as like a, a Skillshare class. And it was, it was very experimental. Um, I think overall it didn't turn out as well as I would have liked it to. And I was in two minds about even posting it at all. But then with the whole, you know, we are our own worst critics and stuff. Uh, I thought, yeah, yeah. screw it, post it anyway. And then I realized I, that I wasn't my own worst critic. <laughs> but, but hey, it had to be done. It was it was a good learning experience. That was good. That thank was you. Actually, that's thank you. That's one of the best jokes you've made in the past few weeks. Thank you very much. That's very kind. Um, I haven't been writing my stand-up comedy every day for fifteen minutes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's the issue. Unlike you. Yeah. So, so in the last episode, we said that every day we would, well, I would write some some comedy for fifteen minutes, and you'd do some songwriting. How has that been? Uh, I've actually done it every day, with the exception of one day, and so I owe you a hundred pounds, which you're not allowed to Absolutely use, correct. which you can use to buy something that plugs your camera into your computer, <laughs> so that you can record this podcast in high definition. Deal. How's it? How has it gone for you? I think it's gone decently. Um, so I didn't miss any days. 
I think there's some good material in there. Oh yeah, obviously needs some uh, some tightening up. But I think it's, I think the concepts are good. I mean, the way I did it was like on the first day, I thought, okay, I just need to like, okay, I think on the first day, my methodology was to try and try and work backwards from the punchline. So you know, there are certain jokes like one-liners, basically, where like you have some kind of punchline, which is a common phrase, and then you have to set it up. So like, there's a there's a there's a comedian called Tim Vine, who's like one of my favorite comedians. He's like he's basically a one-liner comedian. Uh, and there's a there's a sort of arts festival uh, in the UK called the Edinburgh Fringe uh, every year, and there's a one-liner competition at the Edinburgh Fringe. And Tim Tim Vine, you know, almost always gets in the top ten, and he wins every now and then. And one of his really good ones from recent recent years was, uh, let me just think about the phrasing for it one sec. Oh yeah, okay, it was, <laughs> oh, it's, it's so good. All right, here, here it goes. <laughs> My wife and I just went on the. <laughs> oh wait, no, no, let me try again. Let me try again. I always messed it up. <laughs> My wife and I just went on a once in a lifetime holiday. I tell you what, never again. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and so I think I think like the recipe for coming up with one line is to think of it's to think of the punchline. So some a phrase that everyone's familiar with, like oh never again, or you know, um, there's another one of like oh yeah, I just I just sold my vacuum cleaner. It was just collecting dust, really, <laughs> or just gathering <laughs> dust, really. Or something like that. You know, like you you find some common phrase and then you build up the yeah the background to it. Sure. So you've been doing that uh, for one of well, the days. No, no. So so on day one, I thought okay, that's probably the best way to just get a bunch of stuff down. Um, and then I, I kind of thought, look, I'm, I find one-liner jokes funny, but I, I'm not, not going to have a, a one-liner set. You know, I'm not going to just have a bunch of these one-liners. Uh, and then I thought, okay, I'll just like start writing out an anecdote about um, something about my life, and then just like fit some jokes in there. And do you want to share some of your one-liners with us? Uh, yeah, let me find the one-liners. I don't think any of them were particularly good. I thought uh, some of them were quite reasonable. That was uh... the one-liners. Yeah. Okay. Let me find it. It's uh, it's in my my second brain in Rome, Rome research. All right, here, here's, oh, yeah, this is probably the best one I had. <clears throat> so I got a job at the local fishmongers and I kept dropping the fish on the floor. My boss said things were getting out of hand. Hmm. <laughs> we'll throw in some canned laughter. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So can you make note of the timestamp? <laughs> uh, All right, so that was- What were the others on the comedy. list? The others on the list? <laughs> no, I think look, I, I think I think it's worth people appreciating what you think is a bad joke because some of these are actually going to be quite funny, and I th- I thought they were quite funny, and it's worth people appreciating that the stuff that you see on like a stand-up special on Netflix is you know like the the diamonds surrounded by a ton and a, a sort of gallons and gallons of coal. So what's some of the coal that you wrote this week? <laughs> All right, okay, this was this was pretty funny. <laughs> That's really good. All right, I didn't want to read out because it's a bit rogue, but. Um... I asked. I, I went up to my friend and I asked what he thought about the adult remake of Finding Nemo. He said it was hunky dory. <laughs> <laughs> That's really good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> how did you, how did you come up with that one? <laughs> I mean, the, 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 the hunky dory was the punchline. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, but like, where did, where did you get the idea to, uh, from to convert oh, that into dory. a... Yeah. I mean, I just, it was just a phrase, right? I just thought of a random phrase, hunky dory. Okay. Like, <laughs> what else, what else could you do around it apart from like dory from Finding Nemo? <laughs> <laughs> that's very yeah. good. So that was... Um, All right, anyway, I want yeah. more. I want more. <laughs> one more. All right. The other one is, a, it's a bit incomplete. Okay. I'll just tell you the thought process. So the, the, the punchline is, was from the bottom of my heart. There's a phrase from the bottom of my heart. That was the punchline. 
I had to try and fit a story into this. Um, now, there's a there's a part of the heart, the organ in your body, called the uh, trabeculi carnii or something. Is that mm, right? Yes, that's right. Is the pronunciation correct? Uh, it's debatable, but everyone pronounces it differently anyway. Okay. Anyway, there's this part of the heart, which is near the bottom of the heart. And... Uh, and basically, the, the way the joke would go is, my friend asked me, you know, which part of the body does some particular function? And then I said, the trabeculi, cardio, or whatever. He said, are you sure? I said, yeah, from the bottom of my heart. But <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, that's pretty good. That's right, pretty good. It, need, it needs a little bit of refinement, but that's that's pretty funny. All right, so that was my comedy. So that was day well, one of your comedy. That was day one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Just buckle in. It's going to be a long episode. <laughs> I'm glad we found something to talk about because we, we didn't really have a topic for this. All right. What was your, how did your songwriting go? Uh, it, went, it went reasonably, actually. So initially, I started off getting a beat, which was someone had pre-recorded off of YouTube and thinking how I might convert that into a song. Uh, that took me about 15 minutes on the first day. And then on, on day two, I realized I wasn't really feeling this beat. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to try and just make up my own chord progression. And I'll just pick a random right. song based on that. So I went with the older C, G, A minor, A minor, F, C, G, C, or something like that. And then I played it on, an, on my Instagram story. And uh, I was just sort of doing the... Apparently, like, it's, it's a thing with, like, musicians. That if you, I don't know if you've ever heard, like, Taylor Swift behind the scenes type stuff when they're coming up with songs. No, it's it's like they come up with a tune and then they'll kind of latch into it like na 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 back to December na 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 so glad you made na 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 and they would they would have like bits of it and like na 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 kind of the rest of it and it sounds like absolutely uh, crap initially and so I was doing yeah. a, I was doing a bit of this on my Instagram story and being like you know what what's the song going to be about then very very excitingly some some dude messaged me on on the Instagram. And he said that he was into music production himself. And he took my chord progression and played it like much nicer on the guitar. Like he's much more pro at guitar than I am. So it actually sounded like proper legit. And he sent me an MP3 and he said, I've looped it a few times. So you can just write your song on top of this. Oh, uh, and so I've had that playing in the background for the next, for, for, for my subsequent sessions uh, and was coming up with a melody and trying to figure out what these lyrics are going to be about. And I realized that writing lyrics is, is quite hard as well. Um, what was the methodology there? There is currently no methodology. I'm doing uh, the old uh, Tamar Abdal patented method of, uh, what is it, of roaming around in the dark before switching on the lights. Oh, nice. Good stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm, my blog post. I'm, I'm not sure if that's specifically what you called it or if it had a more pithy sounding name. But Yeah, the, it was uh, learned by exploration. And then, then by, by education and by... Something like that, yeah. Yeah, so I was learning by exploration uh, and I d actively did not want to Google like how to write lyrics for a song or anything like that. And the theme of said song is, I think, I think the title of the song is going to be I Miss You. And the, the, the vague theme is that, you know, for example, if Mimi asks me, Ali, do you miss me? I know the correct answer to that question is yes. Um, but <laughs> in, 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 in reality, I don't quite know what the feeling of missing someone means. And so the idea behind this song is that it's like an exploration of trying to figure out what it means to miss someone. And so who's so, the song about? That's the thing. I don't know yet. It's either about, well, quite. Um, so it's either about like a parental type of, do you miss me? And like, you, you want me to say I miss you, but I don't know what that means. Or alternatively, or alternatively is going to be about a kind of fake relationship where I'm saying that 
I want to say I miss you, but actually, what do I mean? Like, I, I, I have, I, I've been overcome with this feeling of saying I miss you, but I, I actually don't know what that means. And is it the way that something, something, or the, the way that you smile, or the way that something, something, mm. something, when I haven't seen you for a while, you know, that, that kind of oh, stuff. Nice, nice, yeah, yeah, yeah. And so when I've been kind of bashing out so the, the melody and, and the chords and stuff on the keyboard, I've been kind of using those like na 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 in a while type type things. So it's yeah. it's 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 coming along. You really are a modern day Shakespeare. You know that. Thank you, thank you. I thought I thought rhyming smile with while was particularly insightful. Yeah. I realized that there the, 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 there are these things called rhyming dictionaries as well. Um, it, it was like I, I I came across one of these ones the other day. What was it? A rhyming dictionary. This was great. I think I think there's a lot of scope for doing doing banter around this because like the first the first line of the chorus I was thinking was going to be something like. Uh, I want to say I miss you, but what does that mean? And then it's like mean. And then I was looking for things that rhyme with mean. And apparently mm-hmm. on this, on rhymezone.com, you've got like one syllable things like bean and clean and screen. You've got two syllables yeah. like caffeine and chow mein and cuisine. <laughs> Three syllables <laughs> like Aberdeen and uh, Argentine and Augustine. <laughs> Four syllables like acetylene, adding machine, adenosine, amphetamine. <laughs> <laughs> five syllable like asparagus bean right, well, we get the idea polypropylene <laughs> polyethylene hang on wait, wait, wait. I'm, I'm nearly here six syllables like conjugated protein dialysis machine and diathermy wow. machine seven syllables like electrostatic machine supervisory routine and tetrachloroethylene eight syllables no like <laughs> no, like no, automated no. telemachine polytetrafluoroethylene and finally nine syllables and here are the three nine syllable words that they say rhyme with mean Number one, auxiliary research submarine. Number two, <laughs> fleet ballistic missile submarine. And number three, microwave diathermy machine. So those are all going to be incorporated into the song at some at some point. Um, <laughs> but I thought that was that was like a, a side of the internet I've not really seen before. It's funny you should mention Rhymesoak because I've actually used this on more than one occasion in the past. The first was when I was writing that poem to win the Nokia Lumia 920 when I was like 17. Uh, and I swear I've used it since. I swear there was something at university where I had to use this. Um, but yeah, man, it, it, it sets an incredible place. Rhymezone.com, sadly not sponsoring this particular episode. But yeah, that's my uh, experiences in dabbling in the world of, of songwriting. Nice. Well, um, sounds like you're making progress. Why did you miss a day? How about that? Why did I miss a day? Because uh, we, we had our things at, at, an, at an awkward time at like 4.30. And it just yeah. so happened that on like four of the days, I had various like calls or live live teaching sessions for my course at like between like three and five or like between like four and six. And most of those days I thought to include, I, I remembered in my head that I needed to do the, the songwriting thing. For some of the days I put a thing in my calendar at like 8 p.m. when I wasn't doing it. But on that one day, I, I trusted my brain to remember it. And as we know, oh, the brain, your brain first is for brain. having, exactly. Your first brain is for having ideas, not for storing them. And so I just completely forgot. And then you messaged me the next day saying you owe me a hundred quid. And I was like, oh, he got me. He got me good. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. But I think this, this I technique think... of like, you know, actively making the time to do the things that you say you want to do is uh, surprisingly, surprisingly effective. Yeah, I found that like every day, even when I feel like I'm swamped with other things, yeah, you can always spare 15 minutes. And I'm starting to think that like, you know, I'm sort of in the habit for this comedy thing now. Maybe I can do the same for some deliberate practice on the piano or something. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's actually not that hard. Yeah, I think with deliberate practice on the piano, I always found that I could never bring myself to do it unless I was actively working towards something. So like having a piece that I'm I'm working on or like a little project. It's like trying to teach yourself how to code without really having something to work on. Like it's just quite hard to motivate yourself to do it. Yeah, I know what you mean. 
I think, I mean, so there's deliberate practice where you're like learning a piece and there's, there's deliberate practice where you're doing exercises. Mm. And I think like, I think the exercises one in theory shouldn't, should be okay. Like it's very well-defined, you know, like you don't have to sit at the piano and figure out what to play. It's like, okay, I'm going to do like these exercises that I've seen on YouTube with like scales and stuff. And so you can like, in theory, you can sort of mindlessly bash those out for 15 minutes a day and it doesn't require too much mental effort. Um, but I just, I think, I think part of the issue is ego. I think this is the real issue. Um, because I think I don't like hearing myself play something that sounds bad, you know, and I think you need to do a lot of that <laughs> to get better. So I think I need to silence the ego <laughs> and just play stuff that sounds terrible. Yeah. This was like me on the violin when I was like 11, it just, it just sounds so terrible. I, I, I harbored resentment for a very long time about this because I assumed that it was the fact that I had a cheap ass violin. Whereas the reason my violin teacher sounded good was because he had a fancy violin. And it's like, you can really tell the difference between a cheap ass violin and a fancy violin because the cheap ass ones are like very dark and the fancy ones look like they're made from light wood. And it's like, oh, oh, this looks wait, fancy. Is that actually how it works? I, have, I suspect that's not actually how it works. <laughs> uh, I suspect it's not quite how it works, but, uh, you know, <laughs> his, his, okay. his violin was light wood. Mine was dark wood. And mine looked like every other kid's cheap-ass violin. And uh, I, I, I said to him after about six months of violin lessons, I was like, look, you know, the only reason you sound good is because you've got a fancy violin. Uh, and he was like, okay. Listen here, you little shit. <laughs> <laughs> and then he said, okay, why don't you give me your violin and I'll play it. And I gave, I gave him my violin and it sounded really good. And at that, from that point, I almost died of embarrassment. And so I stopped lessons with him and I never picked up the violin oh, again. Wait, is that actually why you stopped the violin? It's not quite why I stopped the violin, but I just, yeah, at that point I, I, I had lost any interest because I was like, you know, the, the, the bar between what I know sounds good and what I'm yeah. currently doing is so high. So it has yeah. to be insurmountable. And the violin is not a particularly sexy instrument. And I think this was when I was at the, approaching the end of year seven, where I decided that sex appeal mattered. Uh, and so <laughs> I decided that I was going to sing in the choir instead. <laughs> at a boys' school. At a boys' school. Yeah, the Southland Boys' <laughs> Choir, um, where we famously performed at the Royal Albert Hall uh, one night of the year. Yeah, I think the thing about like knowing... There's a, there's a really good picture uh, that's floating around the internet where it basically shows uh, like a graph of trying to get better at any kind of creative endeavor and there's always a there's there's always like a fairly big difference between how well you can evaluate the art and how well you can produce the art so for example i know what it i, I can evaluate you know what a good you know good piano playing sounds like to a much greater degree than i can actually play a good piano and so when i'm when i'm playing the piano I know that it, I know that it sounds bad, and so when there's this like difference where where you sort of you know what what is good and you cannot yet produce what is good, there's like a level of discomfort or cringe, and uh, you sort of go through peaks and troughs of these things, and it's it's the points where like the two things catch up, where like you know you you sort of are both at the limit of what you know what you know what you can perceive to be good, and you can actually produce stuff of that quality that's where it like feels really magical but in between there's always this like cringe of like oh i know what's good and this is definitely not good mm. yeah this is the I thing think, well, sorry continue i, I was just going to say I, th I think like willingness to look stupid once again is really valuable here i was watching so uh, a few weeks ago uh, i got really into uh, right i got really into a boogie woogie rendition of uh swanee river okay swanee i don't river. i don't know what those words mean <laughs> <laughs> Swanee River is an old American folk, folk song. I think it's like the official song of Florida or something. Um, 
anyway, absolute banger. And then boogie woogie is a style that sort of predates jazz, I think, uh, by a little bit. And the, there's like a boogie woogie version of this particular song, which I really like. And I got really into that. And I was like, okay, I'm going to learn this. And um, one of the things about boogie woogie is that your left hand is kind of doing its own thing and your right hand is kind of doing its own thing. Like they're sort of fairly independent. Um, they're not necessarily playing in step most of the time. And so getting this, um, getting this sort of independence is pretty hard if you're only used to playing like pop stuff where both hands are kind of uh, dancing in sync all the time. Do you know what I mean? Yes. Uh, yeah. So I was watching, I was watching like a YouTube video about like, okay, how do you, how do you like fig- get your left hand to be able to play this, um, this boogie woogie bass line um, without like, without uh, without it affecting what your right hand is doing it's it's a bit like how it's hard to like rub your tummy and pat your head at the same time unless you like train yourself right so it was equivalent of that and the things that this guy was doing like this guy's this guy's very good at playing boogie woogie and he was saying oh yeah man when i whenever i need to learn a new like uh, boogie woogie left hand pattern here's what i do i uh i start playing it like really slowly with just the left hand and then i need to i need to basically get my right hand moving <laughs> in a way <laughs> that isn't in sync with my left hand and so i just start like making shapes in the air with my right hand <laughs> as my left hand plays and like the guy looked absolutely ridiculous he's a very good pianist <laughs> he's sitting there playing like the same pattern over and over again with his left hand while his right hand is just like flying around in the air doing random motions um and this is how he learns a new left hand pattern for boogie woogie and like it's that level of willingness to do something ridiculous and look stupid that I think it really takes a lot of the time. Mm. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Like this, this, this gap between what you can produce and what you know is or what you know to be good. This is why I think partly why I think I've struggled to learn how to draw for so many years. Uh, it's like you know I know what the what sort of art I want to be able to create, and the start, the sort of art I actually create looks absolutely god awful compared to that, and. So what I like, one of my New Year's resolutions is to kind of get a be, like, be totally okay with it and be okay with kind of sharing my work in progress as I'm going along on like Instagram and stuff. Uh, and uh, yeah, actively making that commitment. Maybe actually in, in, in the new year, I'll do 15 minutes of drawing rather than 15 minutes of songwriting each day. I think that would, hmm. that would, be, that would be good. That sounds nice. All right. So what are we talking about this episode? So this episode, I thought we would do a little personal annual review. So I've got a list of questions that my assistant has kindly put together kind of from different sources on the internet, uh, which are all like kind of questions that you ask yourself at the end of a year. And in a way, they're sort of reflective and journaling prompts, that sort of thing. Similar-ish to what we did last week with the meaningfulness and what, what do you want your life to look like 25 years from now? But it's more retrospective rather than prospective so if you would humor me on that front i have a few different questions that i would like to ask you and we can just discuss some of the answers to them all right let's do it so um question number one is how did you have fun differently in 2020 and while you're thinking about that like what i've what what came to mind for me was a discovering the fact that you can listen to audiobooks at multiple speed multiples and B, discovering the fact that you can play on the PlayStation while listening to an audiobook <laughs> at a speed multiple. And I had, I've had a few days over, over the last few weeks where, you know, for several hours, I've just been listening to a fantasy audiobook while also playing Demon Souls on the PS5 and just dying repeatedly. But that, that has really felt like stacking the pleasures. Um, Mate, you can add you can add some like uh, food and drink in there. Just have like a long straw leading into some <laughs> soft drink. Oh, oh, exactly. Yeah, and then Sheen would order the pizza, and then I'd self catheterize <laughs> myself so I wouldn't even have to get up. And <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All of these different ways of stacking pleasure. 
so that that's how i say i would say i had fun differently in 2020 i think the audio audiobook thing yeah love it like that's been huge for me this year i think i've like i think i've read more books this year than any other year and it's mostly because of audiobooks yeah just listening on to 2x while doing the dishes while going on my walk while taking out the trash the garbage <laughs> if you will uh that's a, a silicon valley tv show reference uh for anyone who got it uh yeah it's just been it's been game changing uh so i think i think yeah i agree with that one thing which i did this year for the first time in a while is online gaming with friends i i did it like very briefly during lockdown one <laughs> in like uh, april uh, i played call of duty online with friends and it's just so much fun it's like it's just sick and for the past few weeks as our causal socials we've uh, we've been playing league of legends which i used to play with my friends when i was uh in secondary school and i haven't played for a bunch of years and it's just a lot of fun and i think like having yeah to be honest if i was living more intentionally i would really build in like a sort of weekly online gaming session with some friends to be honest yeah do you think there's uh, so one thing that's kept me away from from the online gaming thing is that it feels like there are very few like casual friendly games whereby like for example, with Call of Duty, I feel like I suck so hard that I am actually just holding back my friends and then it becomes less fun when we're all at slightly different skill levels or significant. Yeah, yeah, skill I, levels. I, think, I think that's definitely an issue. Like the people who play this stuff regularly are just so much better that, yeah, it's kind of unreasonable. I think, um, I think one thing, so when we were in the Dominican Republic, there are some games, okay, so there's Tetris, for example. You can play Tetris online. Like, yeah, if you played it a bunch of times, you're probably pretty good, but you can get up to speed pretty quickly. More interesting than that is multiplayer chess. In the Dominican Republic, we had a few evenings where we played multiplayer chess. And like the dynamics of multiplayer chess are so different to normal chess that even if you're good at normal chess, it doesn't really matter. And so I think you, you can sort of find games where um, like everyone can sort of start at the same point. Yeah, it's, it's not ideal. I think it would be pretty cool if there is one particular game that you're really into and you have a group of friends who are also really into that and you can all like compete and get better and stuff. I think that would be nice. But, hmm. um, you know, you've got to make do. Yeah, I, I remember when, like, in, in secondary school, my nights and my endless nights of playing World of Warcraft with, with, with the boys were, like, some of the best times of my life. And I really want to find a way to recreate that magic at some point. Yeah. Yeah, so I think video games with people, um, I think calling people on the phone. Calling people on the phone is uh, really quite enjoyable. And I hadn't really done it prior to, I don't know, a month ago. Um, but that's been good. So, I, yeah, I think for me audiobooks on 2x speed online games with friends and uh calling friends on the phone mm. nice all right moving on next question is how did you suffer differently in 2020 Cut it out. Mm. um <clears throat> the one for me is that like it if it, it feels weird to call this suffering but i feel like in general my life is so privileged and suffering free that i was always going to be scraping the bottom of the barrel when trying to answer this question but it, it was like earlier this year when I was working working my full-time job as a junior doctor in the UK's National Health Service. This was the, like the first time in my life I had come across uh, working with a colleague who seemed or was either actively or passively quite hostile. And it was really like anxiety-inducing experience to the point oh, where when I would see this person's name on the rotor, I would be like, oh God, this wait, is going to be a terrible you've never, day. You've never, you've never mentioned anything. Oh, this. have I not? What is this? What are you talking about? Yeah, there was a, there was a senior colleague who I worked with for seven months well, from January until I quit, until I quit the job. Um, okay. Who, yeah, would be on kind of one in every five or six days. And those days were always like very kind of, yeah, one thing I've, I, I really wanted to check, like 
you know, we're not allowed to wear uh, anything below the elbow in, in, in a hospital. So I could never wear my Apple watch, but I would have loved to see what my heart rate was doing on those days where this person <laughs> really? was on. Cause I strongly suspect it would have been significantly higher than, than the baseline. And I suspect Wait, this so would also, do they do? I suspect this would also be true for the other junior doctors who I was working with. Um, this person was just like, I'm, I'm sure they didn't mean it. And I'm sure it was just, it was just like their personality, but it was like, they would, uh, when, when, when I, as the junior or my, my junior colleagues, we would ask, ask them like a question that, Hey, you know, this, we've seen this patient and this is what's been going on. And, you know, this is yeah. my plan. Does that sound reasonable? They would respond in a very like direct and almost confrontational fashion where you felt like you were being, you were, you were being put on trial and having to defend yourself. Uh, and that's not really the vibe you want when you're going to a senior uh, to, you know, double check your decision making. And the other five seniors who were around were always like nice about it. And even when they were giving kind of constructive feedback, it would it would it would be done in a nice way. Whereas this yeah. person would just be sort of yeah, you, you you'd feel like under fire, and it would be a very kind of like genuinely anxiety inducing experience. And I just never ever wow. ever had that before. And <laughs> so that was that was novel and interesting. And I had to do my whole kind of usual mental shenanigans of oh, it's probably not me, uh, you know, this, you know, she's probably just like this with everyone and, you know, <laughs> all of all of this kind of stuff. And, you know, there's a hundred different explanations for this type of behavior and I shouldn't take it personally and blah, blah, blah. But it was just yeah. like not not very nice at all. Wow. I had no idea. I'm sorry you went through that, mate. Yeah, man. It's all good. So in all these situations, I always wonder like, and and look, it's obviously a lot easier said than done, but why why wouldn't you just talk to her about it? Like if I imagine you know, back when I had a real job, mm. you know, my manager and I had like a one-on-one every week. If there was an issue, I imagine it would have been a difficult conversation if I thought my manager was like being a dick or something, but there's a space to bring these things up. And like, how do you think it would have went down if you like took her aside one day and was, was like, you know, Hey, you know, uh, it's been you know really good to work with you, but, uh, you know, sometimes I feel like when, uh, we're checking in with you to see how, you know, whether the plan is okay, you're often very negative and dismissive and stuff like that. And you know, it's just, it makes things a bit difficult. Yeah, but what if you, what, what if you just like nicely told her about it? Mm. I used to think about this quite a lot. Uh, and I always chickened out. And I think it's one really? of the, it's, it's, it's one of the situations where I, I kind of had a similar experience in my first year of, of being a doctor as well. That was with another junior colleague. Um, and this person wasn't really pulling their weight and a lot of people kind of expressed issues about their professionalism and, and stuff like that. And when you're in med school and you're being asked these sort of these sort of hypothetical scenarios where, hey, let's say you were a doctor and you've had had some concerns about a colleague, what would you do? They'd be like, oh, well, obviously, you know, I talked to them about it and I take them aside and, you know, and, and blah, blah, <laughs> yeah, blah. Yeah, but yeah. then in real life, when you're in that position and okay, that person okay. is like your friend and it, it, it's just it's just so much harder to walk the walk when you're actually being put in that situation. It's like how everyone right. is a stoic when life is going well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And often I would, I would kind of like with this, with this senior colleague, I would, uh, I would, I'd, you know, occasionally lie in bed at night and think, okay, right. Tomorrow, if this, if this happens again, I'm going to say, I'm going to say to her, Hey, look, man, you know, can I have a private word? And I'm sure you don't mean anything by this, but I just want to let you know how I feel and and stuff like that. And I would never really bring myself to do it. And I would always tell myself, that, oh, well, it's, it's not that much of a big deal. I can, I can get over it. You know, I'm, I'm a stoic and all that stuff. <laughs> so, and then 
it, it it became a case of oh there's only like you know a month left until the placement is over and you know she's only on call a few times and and you know it'll it'll be fine and maybe it is just a case that I'm the one who's who's in the wrong here and I should be upping my game and if if I was actually really really pro then I'd I'd say something because then I know she wouldn't really have a leg to stand on and those would be the things right. going through my head and then COVID hit and we were ended up on the same placements and I was like okay I'm here for another four months now right I really should uh, bring this up and it just yeah yeah <laughs> it, it was that thing of the timing never felt right but really i was just too much of a coward yeah. to do it. mate this is so interesting like you'd actually lay in bed at night like wondering how to deal with this situation yeah genuinely it why was you, it was very all right yeah. i have lots of questions yes, i have please. lots of questions sure why have you never brought this up before like for example we'd record the podcast and i also how's the week been or whatever how has this not come up a single time when i ask you know, your, your general answer is like oh yeah life's great man i'm always happy like everything's good i feel like it, I've, I've always taken that at face value and it comes as it comes as quite a surprise to me that for example there was this one consistent part of your life that was causing you anxiety and was clearly sort of had some effect on you given you were lying in bed at night wondering about this and it, it you know it also seems like an interesting it's related to like your stoicism thing you know it, it seems like the kind of thing mm. that you know well, definitely one of the more interesting things you can bring up on the podcast for example um so how how has this not come up before honestly i i, I actually have no idea like I don't think I I think on the podcast when I think about how my week has gone you know never once would I would have would I have even considered that this would be kind of a negative part of my week I guess because I just sort of considered it like oh it's just part of the job it's just like what like I I didn't really think of it when you were asking how my week's gone I wouldn't have been like oh yeah this week was particularly difficult at work because I had a colleague who was a little bit felt a little bit hostile and it was a little bit of an anxiety inducing experience presenting patients to her I, I just would not have even like that just would not have crossed my mind in the slightest mm. as like a thing to bring up. Um, it's interesting. Yeah, that is interesting. Why is that the case? I think you mentioned this to anyone else before. Like did, did, did we talk about this to Molly when you get back from work or something? Oh yeah. Like, I used, oh, to, I used to mention it to Molly occasionally. Uh, I talked about it with, I talked about it with Mimi once or twice. It was, yeah, it was never, I think my threshold for bringing things up kind of after the fact is usually quite high and for example if it's molly or if it's if i'm having a chat with mimi like on the night then yeah. i'd be like oh yeah this thing happened today and and this is what happened whereas if if you ask me like a week later on the weekend being like how's your uh, week been it just would not register as being even like i just would not have considered it a part of my week in the slightest i just been like yeah i went to work i came back home and i made a, I made a few videos life is good <laughs> okay but what I, when i ask you how you how's your year been <laughs> then you're like man this one person at work <laughs> the reason for this was 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 the suffering thing and yeah, I, I know, initially right. i was kind of like well i don't really have any suffering and i was like okay if i had to pick something that was even slightly anxiety inducing or where i felt even slightly scared or even slightly out of my depth this would be yeah. one of the things that would, that would come up on the annual review list but i think it's also a lot easier to kind of actively talk about five months after the fact rather than when you're in the in the midst of it partly because it wouldn't be too hard to identify who this person is for anyone who, if if I was yeah, actively working there right right now, and but 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 that's not the reason I didn't bring it up. I just would it would not even have crossed my mind. Okay, that's pretty interesting. Mm. Now let's dig into like um, the thought process for why you didn't actually like have the conversation because I think a lot of the times in like workplaces, mm. you know, part of the concern is like. Uh, you know, office politics, and like, you know, if I make this person my enemy, then they'll like screw, screw over my mm. career or whatever and stuff like that. Like, what was, what were the reasons in your head for like why this was um, scary? I think probably the main one is that I thought that I felt that she was right a lot of the time, whereby 
like the stuff that she was pointing out, like had my had my approach to the patient been like rock solid, she wouldn't have had anything to complain about. But the fact that it wasn't a lot of the time meant that I felt that, okay, she was justified in giving me that direct kind of criticism. And really the only thing that I was objecting to was like the way that she was saying it. And I guess I, I felt like, oh, it's a bit of a, you know, it's a bit of a soft boy move to be like, oh, well, you know, I actually agree with your feedback slash criticism, but I just, you know, the, the, yeah, the, I, didn't like, the, I didn't the, like your tone. <laughs> I don't like your tone. Like, yeah, the way that you say it sometimes makes me feel a bit like, you know, a little bit bad. The, right. you just, I think, yeah, I was, I was a afraid of the confrontation and be afraid of the sort of vulnerability and see sort of, you know, she definitely had a point with like basically almost all of her or almost all of her criticism. Occasionally there would be times where I thought, okay, you're actually just overreacting now and this is out of line. And the next time it happens, then I'm going to put my little foot down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. <man. laughs> That's interesting. Huh. The thing you said about not wanting to seem like, I didn't use the term soft boy. I don't think that's quite what a soft boy is in common parlance. I wanted but... to say pussy, but I thought that would be... Uh, <laughs> yeah. That, yeah, that would be. Yeah. So, yeah. What is the term yeah, soft boy uh, in, in common parlance, as they say? Uh, I think the soft boy in common parlance is... It's sort of like an act to try and... It's sort of the antithesis to the... All right, there's a, there's a term called fuck boy, um, which is a... I, I, Maybe we can just read the urban thing. I think everyone knows what it okay. is. Okay, soft boy, urban extreme. A less masculine boy yeah. who is described as cute based on their soft or gentle characteristic. Oh, he looks so adorable in that beanie. What a soft boy. All right, that's not the common parlance. I don't know. I don't know. Similar to an F boy, but without the cocky attitude, the soft boy will butter a girl up by appealing to her emotions and showing a sensitive side long enough for her to sleep with him, whether or not he actually cares about her. Then, like the F-boy, he can't slash won't commit, differs from the F-boy because he goes for the heart and emotions rather than just the body. Okay, that's not that absolutely not what yeah. I meant, but uh, you... Okay, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> for the record. Uh, okay, well, no, thank, thank, you for, thank you for sharing this. That's all right. Uh, what about you? How did you suffer differently wait, in 2020? <laughs> no, I suffered. Wait, where do I begin? Let's <laughs> uh, okay. start in January and we can work our way through. <laughs> January. I think we've had plenty of ups and downs in terms of like our feelings about causal. In January, I think in January we're broadly happy with things. I think there was some, a, a bunch of points in like whew, it would probably be like actually no no, no. so in, in January there was definitely like a I mean look there's there's like various flavors of suffering um, about causal stuff. I think. One particular flavor is sort of suffering during sales. <laughs> like we're, mm. we're like doing a demo of the product to someone who we want to buy the product. And we kind of know, <laughs> we kind of know deep down that this guy, this guy's going to have a bad experience. <laughs> like it's kind of hard to use. We can't quite handle it, like his use case or whatever. But the thing you're told is that you still go for it anyway and you figure it out and you make it work. And so there was a lot of painful times and there continues to be a lot of painful times where like, you know, someone will be kind of vaguely interested in, in, in causal and then we'll be like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we can do that as well. Yep, mate, this is going to change your life. <laughs> <laughs> and then we have to go and figure out how to actually make all these, those things work. 
and then a lot of the times they don't work. <laughs> and um, yeah, I think there was there's that that's like one flavor of suffering. It's just like generally sort of like fairly mm. anxiety inducing when you have to like put yourself in that position. Um, yeah, I man. think like sales, I know exactly what you mean. General, really? <laughs> yeah. Where, where, where have, is, when have you experienced this? Is this is exactly how I felt in third year when trying to pawn off Paxock Ball ticket sales. Oh yeah, you always talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> Just the sense of, I know what I'm selling is snake oil here. And I know it's going to be a bit crap, but I have yeah. to sell these tickets. And so I it just feels absolutely terrible. Yeah, so I think like, yeah, just suffering through uh, selling people things <laughs> is one flavor of it. Uh, why do you have to, why, why do you have to take that approach? Sorry? Why do you have to take that kind of yes-man approach to sales? Why not be a bit more honest and authentic and walk the walk that you preach on the podcast? I don't think there's... I don't think it's, like, dishonest or inauthentic. Okay. But it's clearly causing anxiety, and you know, it's not leading to a great user experience. But I mean, that's how, the, that's how things get better. Like, mm. you know, if someone, if someone wants to, like, use a software and they're like, oh, yeah, I need to do this, like, one thing. And you know that you don't do that one thing yet but you're sure you can figure out a way to do it. Well, you hope you can figure out a way to do it. You sort of overpromise and then make it happen and figure it out. And that's, that. That's. I mean, it, it just seems a lot slower <laughs> to do it the other way where you're like, oh, sorry, mate, we can't actually do that. And then you've got like turn this person away. And actually, so in the past, in the past couple of months, we've been doing that a bit more mm-hmm. where we've had, yeah, we, we're working on some like really big features that will allow the product to do certain things. And when people come to us saying like, hey, you know, I'd love to use it for X, Y, Z. We are sorry. You know, we we do just say, uh, sorry, we can't do that yet. Working on some big features. Um, what's what's your timeline? You know, if you can wait until January, then let's touch base in January, kind of thing. Um, but I think like back then, where we sort of just knew very little and just needed to like get customers by any means and and sort of figure out what we're doing. I think it was definitely the right thing. Um, and yeah, you hear you hear similar stories from lots of startups where you kind of overpromise and then figure out how to make it work. And it's kind of the, the faster way to do it. Hmm. That makes sense. Okay. Interesting. And you can't, yes, that, that was, you can't be honest cool. with them be like, Hey, you know, we don't have this feature yet, but we're, we're still at this stage. We're going to do our best to figure it out in the next few days. Or do you like tell them, yeah, it's all good. And then you're like, Oh crap, how do we make this happen? I think it's more of the latter. Yeah. I mean, it, it depends, it depends on the thing, but there's definitely okay. plenty of the like, yeah, we can do it. And then let's yeah, fair. figure out how to do it. So suffering on the sales uh, front when you know you're selling snake oil. <laughs> yeah, su- suffering on the sales front is one of them. Then there's also just like a fair amount of suffering on the mor- morale front hmm. around like just like existential kind of uh, questions around like, are we working on the right thing? Are we wasting our lives? Are we like completely on the wrong track here? Why haven't we made more progress? Stuff like that. Uh, and I, you know, morale waxes and wanes. Hmm. Um, but there's yeah, definitely a bunch of points of low morale where one or both of us kind of feel like, oh man, like we've just wasted the past X months and what are we doing kind of thing. Um, so there's been, there's been a, a fair amount of that. So what does that feel like in the moment? Not good, mate. Okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to write a song about this. I want you to, to, to describe the feeling <laughs> of low morale. I'm, I'm taking notes. Feeling of low morale. You know, morale is so temperamental, it's crazy. Oh, that'll be a line in the song. <laughs> but here's my number, so call me maybe. <laughs> Very nice. I'm here all week. <laughs> it's your bar mitzvahs as well. <laughs> yeah, I think like the thing about morale is that 
it is actually just like crazy temperamental. Like, for example, I think I had like really low morale about causal, I don't know, like two days ago or maybe even like yesterday where I kind of felt like, oh my God, like it's going to require a miracle for this to work. <laughs> and then today I was like, mate, this is sick. <laughs> Let's go, <laughs> you know? And you just have to like, you have to make sure that you, you just bear in mind that like it's extremely temperamental. And like, if, mm. if, for example, you have a couple of nights of not getting enough sleep, it's probably the lack of sleep that's making the morale low. And so you can't like overfit to, um, to sort of random feelings mm. uh, when it comes to morale. So why, uh, but yeah, like why does it fluctuate so much? Like I like th- th- hypothetically, even if if even if you were sleeping and eating and exercising appropriately, yeah, why would it fluctuate? Why would it fluctuate? I think it's because it's really unclear whether we're on the right track. We're sort of you know if if you right, there's a term called product market fit where you have a product that is very well suited to a particular market, and so it's easy for you to acquire new customers in that market, and you can like you know get more customers, make more money that way. We, we are definitely pre-product market fit. And so it's really about trying lots of things to figure out, okay, what might be a good market? You know, what should our product do? You know, what are we, what like, you know, who are we actually building this for? It's, uh, we're, we're still, you know, in, in that sort of phase. And so there's no, well, there are the tangible markers of progress would be like more customers and more revenue. And that happens some of the time, but we're, we're definitely not at a place where that happens like reliably and frequently. And so it's, it's, it's hard to use that as like, uh, oh, okay, we're on the right tracks. And so mm. the feeling of being on the right tracks really just comes down to like you and your own thinking. It comes down to like, I mean, you, you basically have to take all the learnings that you've had over the past, you know, since starting the company, what the stuff you've learned about potential customers and the market and what your product needs to do. And then you have to, reach a conclusion about like okay we based on everything we know we should be working on xyz and we think this will succeed and it's just pretty you know it's it's uh yeah it's it, there's nothing particularly objective about it okay and so that's i think where the uncertainty comes from it, so overall is it still worth it like you could be working at one of your friends startups and making lots of money slash had you stayed you would have now been a multimillionaire effectively etc cetera, etc cetera. but you have known for a long time that you want to quote do your own thing is the value in doing your own thing is it still net positive for you yeah for sure dude for sure yeah i think one thing um yeah absolutely i think uh i think the uh, his his actually a theory of mine that i've been cooking up it's very very early early stage mm. pre-product this market theory, fit this yeah this, i was about to say exactly <laughs> that <laughs> this is the pitch deck <laughs> right <laughs> um, we don't have the prototype yet uh i think like the way we think about things in terms of positive and negative is just like really misguided like it's 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 like reductive to the point where it's not even useful so for example Oof, um deep yeah so th- you know, for example, a lot of stuff around a lot of stuff around feelings, right? Like, for example, if you miss someone, you know, you kind of think that's a negative feeling. And like, yeah, sure, there's a large negative part of it, but then there's also like a sort of warm, fuzzy part of it where, you know, like it's it's you know, it's a negative feeling, I get you know, mostly. But if you could choose between like never missing anyone again and you know, having that capacity, you choose to have the capacity. Because it's really not about positive and negative. It's about, yeah, it's about meaning and all this stuff, right? Nice. I'm I'm taking notes for my song. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I think 
Oh, mate, there was a good tweet. Oh, man. Yeah, someone did a good tweet. Uh, let me find it. Uh, apparently, there's someone called Margaret Atwood. I think she's either a, or an author, a philosopher, or, seven, or whatever. So someone who I follow on Twitter tweeted, when Margaret Atwood said love was obsession with undertones of nausea, I felt that. You know? Like, undertones of nausea sounds pretty unpleasant. <laughs> Why the hell would you want that? Hmm. And yet, <laughs> lots of people do want that and have that. And you, you would still choose that over not that any, any time of day, right? And so it's not really about positive and negative. And so, yeah, sure, on the face of it, um, you know, there are definitely negatives, but I don't really think of it think of it in those terms. At least, I mean, not it's, most of the time. It sounds like there is still a sense of positive and negative, right? Like it's just that the positives outweigh the negatives if you're going to reduce it to those terms. For example, if the negatives of a relationship outweigh the positives of, the, of a relationship, it'd be pretty well advised to leave the relationship. Like you know, most of the days are miserable, but occasionally we have like really good makeup sex or something like that. Like you know, the, you'd advise the person to be like, well. Mm, <laughs> um yeah i don't know dude i think it can't like i really don't think it's that simple hmm. it can't uh, once again it all comes back to aspiration by agnes Callot. but <laughs> you know when you, th if you think about something like becoming a parent hmm. one of my favorite podcasts is called econ talk um it's presented by an economist called russ roberts and uh he's on the agnes Callot hype recently because he interviewed him on the podcast and he was talking to he had an episode recently with someone it was about happiness um and usually when economists talk about happiness, they you know, have a very like, oh, positives and negatives. And let's like, let's take the integral and see what the value is <laughs> kind of thing. Um, you know, it's, 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 it's sort of like a, that kind of approach. And Ross Roberts was saying like, look, man, <laughs> if I listed out all the positives and negatives of being a parent, <laughs> the negatives would win. <laughs> there's way more negatives, <laughs> you know? Every day, there's definitely way more negatives. <laughs> the negatives would win. Like, there is, if I told you, like, the good things about being a parent and the bad things about being a parent, you would choose not being a parent every single time. And yet, I still think it's worth becoming a parent. Like, fine, you can... You can I, I think the issue is, like, the issue is in your framing or, like, hmm. trusting that you can actually um, make this approximation. You're claiming that, oh, yeah, you can, like, approximate everything down to, like, positive and negative, and then you can add them all up. You can't actually do that. Um, I think that I think that's where you're misguided. Um, I think you'll have a pretty hard time actually doing that. Okay, fair enough. In in a lot of instances. Hmm. And so for you, being a startup founder is one of those instances where it's actually not that easy to sum positive and negatives and come to some sort of net result. Well, I think it is largely positive, sure. Okay, but I, I think just like that framing of positives versus negatives, hmm. it like misses out on on some valuable nuance, which is like something a little bit outside of you know, giving something a score out of 10. Okay. Yeah. Fair. Um, how do we go into this? Oh yeah. We talk about my suffering. Uh, so yeah, there's like some startup suffering, um, hmm, other kinds of suffering. It's definitely been other kinds of suffering. Yeah. I guess there's been a, a bit of like relationship suffering, which I haven't, haven't really had too much of in, in previous years. Um, sort of a novel experience, I suppose. But yeah, again, that also, you know, sort of, yeah, it was definitely negative, but yeah, it was yeah. If, if I weighed the positives and negatives, the the suffering part of it was definitely bad. But like, I think you'd still you'd still want to experience that, you know? Okay, fair enough. What what did this relationship suffering look like in the abstract? Uh, it basically just looked like going on a few dates with someone and then deciding that you weren't going to go on dates with them anymore, mm. and uh, it's just kind of kind of sad, really. Okay, fair enough. 
Uh, there's a question on this list. What have you learned about the way that you deal with uncertainty in 2020? Oh, mate. <laughs> um, let me tell you a little something about Monte Carlo simulation. <laughs> okay, hang on. Let me find Let me find a better one that, that's not a sponsored plug. Okay, here's here's an interesting one. What kept you up at night with excitement this year? Was it worth it? Would you want to do more of it? You want to go first? Yeah, so the main thing that actually kept me up with excitement was the thought of uh, running my kind of live live online course <laughs> really yeah it, like when i when i got turned on to the idea that that this was possible you know i would just be up at night until like three in the morning just with, with my mind just kind of racing with like oh my god we could do this and we could make it really good like this and this would be awesome and if we have this many students we'll be, we'll be able to do this and you know here are some yeah. exercises that we can do and this is stuff this is the stuff that we'll teach uh and that that was really fun uh i yeah. never i haven't quite been, been quite so excited by an idea like that in a very long time. I think it sort of reminds me of how I used to feel back in the day when, for example, it was, you know, have a, having an idea to code a new feature on like BMAT Ninja, be like, oh my God, yeah, it could look like this. And yeah, even even back in the school days where it's like, oh my God, I've just thought of an amazing new idea for a money-making scheme. ConsoleGateway.com, yeah, yeah. referral, <laughs> you know, pyramid affiliate marketing scheme where people can get a free games console. And that would keep me up at night thinking, oh my yeah, God, this is yeah. gonna be so sick. So it was like that yeah. kind of feeling that I had mm, a few that's months ago. Yeah. That was that was quite nice. Yeah, that feeling of like the sort of idea, excitement about an idea. Mm. I think like, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've had that a bit. That's been nice. Wait, what was the question about like what kept... What, what kept you up what at night you... with excitement this year? Was it worth it? And would you want to do more of it? Kept me up at night with excitement. Yeah, that's all, I, that's all that comes to mind. Okay, let's do one more. So... If you had to teach one thing that you learned this year that would improve one's quality of life, what would that be? Hmm. I think for me, it would be a just the the value of like coaches and accountability partners and and stuff like that when it comes to actually doing stuff. Uh, but also, it would be because you know to have to have a coach, usually you need money. But I think a lot of the stuff that you can learn from coaches and from like coaching methodologies and the sorts of questions that a, a coach would ask you about stuff, you can also yeah. just ask yourself those questions and slash yeah. ask a friend those questions. And you can develop this sort of, in a way, a coaching relationship with a friend or a housemate or a colleague or accountability buddy in that sense. And, you know, a lot of the questions that I was asking you last week were based on kind of coaching models that other people have used on me, which is that, you know, things like, you know, what's stopping you from achieving this thing? How would you make time for it uh, in in a week's time? How surprised would you be on a scale of one to 10 if you didn't do the thing? You know, what are the top three reasons why you wouldn't do the thing? What are the three things you can do to combat the fact that you are unlikely to, you know, uh, make time to do the thing? A lot, of, yeah. a lot of this stuff is like coaching 101. And before this year, I just hadn't come across this as a model or as a concept. And, you know, the other day, someone listened to our last week's podcast where or the week before where i mentioned i was thinking of getting like a therapist or something uh, and this person yeah. works as a therapist slash life coach and so we had like a little an, an intro session and a lot of the questions that she was asking me were also like you know i would say something and she'd be like and why are you telling yourself that story and i'd be like damn that's a good question you've got me she's got me <laughs> yeah <laughs> and so i think having uh, sort of developing a model a model for that that people can use on themselves to ask to sort of figure out when we are bullshitting ourselves i think that is enormously valuable and that would be something that i'd want to teach this year mm. yeah that's really great 
So you mean like teaching people to do that for themselves or teaching people to like do that with their friends or something? Uh, both. To... Yeah, both in a way. I think teaching people to take advantage of it without having to pay for a coach would, yeah, would yeah. be like a good, a good thing to teach. An idea worth sharing. Yeah. Damn, that's a pretty good answer. I don't know if I have as good an answer as that. Um, let me think. Have I learned this year? I suppose for you, this has been really been the year of your kids' hype. Mm, I think the last few months... The kids hype surfaced around August, I think. Hmm. Um, yeah, actually, I wrote, I think I sent you a link, which you haven't replied to. I've almost got a first draft of the kids' manifesto. I, I will read through it after so this. Expect, and... expect that to be live soon. Oh, yeah. The thing, oh, mate, I think, like, really pivotal. Like, you, you know, the existential crisis I had a couple of, couple of weeks ago. We talked about it on the podcast and read out some of those articles about, like, trying to try and things like that. I think that is absolutely game-changing. I wish I'd, like, read that stuff I don't know, five years ago or something. I might have been, you know, too stupid to appreciate it five years ago. But yeah, certainly like that has been absolutely revolutionary in terms of like, yeah, I re really wish I'd seen that earlier. And so, yeah, helping people notice um, when they fall into those patterns the same way that I'm now noticing when I fall into those patterns. What's a, like, have you found any useful questions to ask yourself just to remind yourself about whether you're falling into yeah. that pattern? Yeah, for sure. I think the one it comes down to for me is like, having a mindset of what needs to be done versus what can I do? And previously, my mindset with most things was like, what can I do? Um, whereas now, whenever I feel myself thinking thinking that way, then I think, no, look, the starting point is what needs to be done. And let's just do that thing hmm. to make it happen kind of thing. Do you have any examples of when that's kind of changed what you do? Um, nothing like really big and dramatic comes to mind, but there's been like, yeah, just little decision-making things. Hmm. Yeah. Cool. Alrighty, I think that's a, a good place to end this particular podcast. Do you want to read out a review and we'll, we'll call it a day? I've been uh, I've been enjoying creating those like uh, memes, <laughs> the miss oh, mi yeah. midway bell curve type memes. Mate, that's been so much fun. Yeah, yeah. And some people had like sent me some on Instagram and on Twitter and things like that. I think like I think able to like have an inside joke with a bunch of people is like a really nice part of social media, having a following, all this kind of stuff. Mm. All right, this. Uh, podcast review comes from Ixuvia in Australia. Uh, they say, listening, it's entitled, listening to this podcast feels like moving through the levels of the galaxy brain meme. <laughs> <laughs> Are you familiar with the galaxy brain meme? I am indeed. Yeah. Okay. Uh, they say, huge fan of the show. I really appreciate that it gets me to think about ideas that are really important to my daily life, and yet often things I wouldn't give a second thought to otherwise. The banter between Tamor and Ali is great, especially when they disagree on something. And overall, the show is a great mix of fun listening and genuine introspection provoking bangers. Uh, always happy to see that new episode show up in my podcast feed each week. Thank you for that five-star review. We haven't had any... We haven't had any bad reviews for a bunch of weeks. We haven't had anyone calling us misogynists either for a bunch of weeks. <laughs> wow. What's going on there? Maybe we can uh, try and keep that going into 2021. <laughs> that can be a New Year's resolution yeah. for the podcast. <laughs> exactly. All right. Thanks. Thank you, everyone, for listening. And we will see you next week. That's it for this week. Thank you for listening. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on the Apple Podcasts website if you're not using an iPhone. There's a link in the show notes. If you've got any thoughts on this episode or any ideas for new podcast topics, we'd love to get an audio message from you with your conundrum, question, or just anything that we could discuss. Yeah, if you're up for having your voice played on the podcast and your question being the springboard for our discussion, email us an audio file mp3 or voice note to hi at notoverthinking.com. If you've got thoughts but you'd rather not have your voice played publicly, that's fine as well. Tweet or 
or DM us at N Overthinking on Twitter, please. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye.